All right, good morning, everyone. My name is Tim. I'm one of the pastors here. And again, you've heard it already said this morning, but let me say it again because we, we want you to keep hearing it. We're, we're glad that all of you are here with us this morning, really glad to worship alongside you as we worship our Lord this morning. And a lot of you know that Brookside has been reading through the Bible this year. If that's new news to you, you can check it out online and uh, kind of find out what we're doing with this 365 reading plan there. But, but the thing to kind of have in, your, in the back of your mind is that in just a couple of weeks, in the middle of August, we start the New Testament. So it'll be a huge accomplishment to have read through so much of the Old Testament and, and then to look ahead to the Gospel of Luke, which is where we're jumping into in just a couple of weeks. But, but the thing I want to remind you of this morning is that, is that we're not done with the Old Testament yet. And so, so let's finish strong as we start the book of Job this morning and then, and then track through that for the next few days. And uh, this morning, I'm going to be preaching on Job. Next week, Steve is going to be preaching on Job because the, the subject that Job deals with is so important. Most of you know that Job, Job deals with the subject of suffering, something that is very relevant, but very heavy, right, but very relevant. And so we want to spend two weeks on this really looking at, at what's up with suffering. You know, this morning we'll be looking at the why question behind suffering. And then in the next week, Steve is going to get very practical, talk about how we can be a comforter to those who are going through suffering. And really want you to be back, uh, back here next week for that, for, for these two weeks of this, of this subject of suffering. But, but since suffering is kind of heavy, I figured it'd be appropriate this morning to start off on a little bit more of a lighthearted note. And so what I want to do is I want to walk through a few, a handful, seven, I think, uh, first world problem memes with you. If you don't know what a meme is, basically it's just some words stamped across a picture that then passed around online. First world problems, a lot of us have heard that. It's things we complain about here in America that nobody else in the, de in the developing world complains about, right? They just roll their eyes and say, come on, you're complaining about that? And we say, yes, we're complaining about that. So, so, so here's what I'm talking about, some of these first world problem memes. One example that'll come up here on the screen, is I want food from the back of the fridge, but it's blocked by all the food in the front of the fridge, right? So I guess I'll order out. That is a first world problem. If, you ever, if you've ever had that mild level of frustration about, man, you mean I need to reach all the way back in the fridge to get, I, I need to pull something out to get that? First world problem, right? Okay, another one coming up. If my ripped jeans keep ripping, I'll need to go out and buy some new ripped jeans. Another first world problem. Okay, this, this next one is the one that I'll be vulnerable, raise my hand. This is the one I complain about. I can't eat my drive through food because I'm hitting all green lights. I mean, there's times I just want to unwrap my Jimmy John sandwich, but then these lights just magically turn green in front of me. I'm like, come on! But... That's my first world problem, okay? My dentist ceiling TV, my kids will never grow up in a world where they haven't been watching TV while their teeth are getting cleaned. My dentist ceiling TV is turned to a show I've already binged on. Another first world problem. The next one, I want to lay on my side while I'm texting, but my smartphone auto-rotates my screen. <laughs> Your laughter shows me you know what I'm talking about. All right, next one. I want to eat chips but I can't hear the TV over the crunching. Men, I'm looking at you on this one. 
And then I think maybe this is the last one, one or two more. Yeah, so he, this is the last one. This, this guy, warrior dash guy, is probably the sort of guy that would say this. I have a paper cut on my iPhone finger. I persist bravely, but every tweet is agony, right? I mean, so, so you get what I'm talking about. These first world problems that, that, that are so funny because they hit so close to home. We can, we can relate to this idea of just complaining about things that are trivial, complaining about things that are funny, complaining about things that we know we shouldn't really be complaining about. And as, as much as we can, we, we can laugh at these first world problems and as much as we can see ourselves in them, we also know that there is problems, there is suffering, there is tragedy that is not trivial. There, there is suffering and there is tragedy that is, that is not funny. As good as we are in America about avoiding tragedy, we know that there's tragedy that, that, that we cannot get away from. I mean, most of us know this, that, that all you have to do is live long enough and you will face suffering. I mean, we, we, we have a church that's large enough. There, there are people here this morning that, that have gotten that phone call that has changed everything in five minutes. There are, there are people here this morning that have sat in the doctor's office almost in this out-of-body experience as they've heard the doctor share the diagnosis that is what everybody was praying against, but now they're dealing with it. We have, we have a congregation large enough. There have, there have been people here that have been demoted or downsized, and, and now that, that career track that you were on for that job you were looking for, that job is no longer anywhere in reach, and for the next season, you know there's going to be this, this suffering that goes along with underemployment or unemployment. I, I mean, we, we get the reality of suffering. You've been bullied or made fun of. You, you've, you've been dealing with chronic pain for weeks or months, and, and no doctors can help you out. Your spouse is left, and you're facing the end of your marriage. You, you've stood by the graveside of someone so close to you who died at such a young age. All of us have been touched by suffering. Personally, all of us have been touched by the suffering that, that, that comes to those very close to us. And all of us have been touched by suffering as we watch the news on a national scale. All of us know the suffering that comes from disappointment, disease, and death. And, and whenever we face this sort of suffering, well, just, just, just one of those knee-jerk reactions that, that, that we very just naturally do is, is we ask why, right? I mean, why God? Why this? Why me? Why now? Why, why did this have to happen to this person? We, we get the why question. And, and when this question comes up this morning, here's why what we're talking about is so important. I, I want us to help respond to that why question well. Because we know the why question will come up. But, but what we don't know is, is how we'll answer it. But as we see from the Bible, the, 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 there's not a, kind of this clean answer, but it doesn't mean we're left without guidance. We have tremendous insight into how to approach this. So this morning, we're, we're not going to fall back on some tri trite cliche. Again, hear, hear me say up front that there are no easy 
answers to suffering. I mean, we, we, we know this. If, if you've been through suffering, you know that. Even after we've looked at, at everything the Bible says about suffering, and, and it does have a lot to say, but even after we've done that, there are still question marks that linger about why. Why this? Why me? Why now? Why? But just because there aren't any easy answers doesn't mean we're left without guidance. There are some books in your program that are some uh, great resources. I think they should be there anyway to turn to. But, but the place we always want to go first and most at Brookside, the, the thing we build our Sunday mornings around is always this book. It's always the Bible. So, so the place we want to go this morning is the book of Job, this book that has tremendous insight. Into, into answering how we should respond when suffering comes, answering that why question. And Job comes in so powerfully here, even though it's one of the first books chronologically that happened in the biblical story. So, so even though it's one of the oldest books, it maintains this 21st century relevance because it speaks to this issue that we all know we have faced, we will face again, this issue of suffering. And, and as we'll see in Job, Job himself faces, faces horrific suffering. I mean, horrific, bold, underlined. His suffering is stuff we would not wish on, on anyone. So Job knows suffering. He knows it to the core of his being. Job faces suffering that would make any one of us this morning stop and just ask, why? That's the sort of suffering that Job faces but, but as we'll see, Job isn't the only character in this book that's named after him. This book isn't just this chronicle of Job's suffering. Because alongside Job's suffering, we're, we're also introduced, even in the first couple chapters we're looking at this morning, we're introduced to other characters. We're introduced to God and to Satan. And, and so, so even in Job's suffering, even in everything that Job faces, we see that God isn't absent. God is engaged and so, so as we read through Job's story of tremendous suffering, we, we, we can't just take God out of the equation. We can't say, I guess God is out for the week. No, and instead, what we have to say is as we wrestle through the why question of suffering, we don't want to forget who God is. We have to, we have to factor God into the equation. And so, so, so everything that we'll see Job telling us this morning is leaning towards this. As you wrestle through the why question, because we do wrestle through it. Right? This isn't neat. We're not going to feel, we're not going to leave this morning with, with all these warm fuzzies because suffering just doesn't do that. But as we wrestle through the why question of suffering, focus on who God is. Job helps us do that in some very great ways. We need to think about this because this is important for us to remember because if we don't do this, if we, if we don't focus on who God is, if, if we forget who God is, or if we just reduce God to one very small slice of who God says he is, and we neglect everything else the Bible says about who he is, we can end up in a weird spot pretty quickly. And we can start to think, oh, I guess God is powerless. I guess God can't handle this one. Or, 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 or even further than that, we, we start to think God is against us. And if we don't have a right picture of who God is, then God becomes our enemy in suffering. He becomes someone to resist. That is not where I want us to end up, Brookside. That's not where I would want to end up. Instead, what I want us to see is that the more we understand who God is, I mean, this is the, this is the difference maker. If, if you're here this morning facing suffering, I can't take away the pain 
and the grief, but I can fix our eyes on our Lord. The more we focus on who God is, the more we understand who he is, then we remind ourselves that God remains powerful and good even in the face of suffering. And so even though it can't take away our pain, even though it can't take away our grief, God becomes someone someone we can trust, (laughs) even if we don't have all of the answers for everything that's going on around us. So as you wrestle through the why question of suffering, focus on who God is. So let's go to Job. Let's see how this takes shape there. We're going to start out right at the beginning of the book. Job chapter 1, verse 1. I'm going to start reading just some introductory stuff we get on Job in the first five verses. Job chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys. It's a lot of animals. And had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. His sons used to hold feasts in their homes on their birthdays, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when a period of feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. Early in the morning, he would, he would um, get up and sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. And this was Job's regular custom. We learn a lot about Job there. Let's pull out just a few things that, that we don't want to miss from those first five verses. First of all, we see that Job's family life was solid. I mean, Job's got these ten kids who seem to legitimately enjoy being around each other. They're, they're inviting each other over to each other's homes. They're having a great time with each other. What parent wouldn't want that? We also see Job was financially successful. When, when we read about all of Job's animals... All the livestock, the camels, the oxen, the donkeys, and the sheep. In the time and place that Job lived, those animals were a measure of wealth. So when we read about that, we should say like, cha-ching, you know? I mean, Job is loaded. We also see that Job's got a great reputation. At the very end of verse 3, it says, Job was the greatest man among all the people of the East. He was the Warren Buffett of his day. He, he, he was the Bill Gates of his day. People had the, the Job poster up on the walls of their homes. People knew about him, had a great reputation, and then Job was, was morally and spiritually vibrant. The way he's described right out of the chute is that Job is blameless and upright. This doesn't mean he's perfect, but it shows that he's got tremendous integrity. Who Job is on the inside is consistent with what he shows on the outside. We also see Job described as someone who fears God and shuns evil. Another book of the Bible, the book of Proverbs, says that that is the definition. Someone who fears God and shuns evil, that's the definition of wisdom, of of godliness. Someone who lives the sort of way God wants us to be living. So Job is the guy. The, the, The bottom line of all of this is that Job is at the top of his game. He's at the top of the world. He's got it all. I mean, Job is the guy that I would want to surround myself with. He's the guy we all want to be like because we know if we're like that, if we surround ourselves with someone like him, it's going to rub off and make all of us better. 
But then as we keep reading in verse 13, we see that one day, one afternoon, everything changes for Job. We, we don't know what Job is doing on this particular day, but we can guess it's probably a day like any other where Job has a schedule of events until that schedule is interrupted by, by this first servant, this messenger that just bursts into Job's home. And, and Job, Job knows probably by the, by the panicked look on this servant's face that, that, that he better clear his schedule for the next little bit. And, and then Job listens as this servant in, in this panicked expression, in, in these gasps for breath, because he's probably been sprinting to Job's, to, to where he's at to tell him this news. Job, is, Job has heard how these marauders have attacked one of his plots of land, and that, that Job's oxen and donkeys are gone. They, they, they've been taken by marauders, and then, and then the servants that were watching over those livestock were killed. So, so Job was probably trying to wrap his mind around this and just say, what? What's going on here? And, and, and then Job 1 tells us that while that first servant is still speaking, Another servant bursts in, just like the first. Same panic expression. Same gasps for breath because he's sprinting up to the house. And he says, says Job, I was, with, I was with a sheep. And Job, this fire came down from heaven. We don't know what that is. Maybe a lightning bolt that started a fire. We, we don't know. But, 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 but he tells Job, Job, this fire came down from heaven. Job, all your, all your sheep and those servants watching the sheep, Job, they're gone. I'm the only one left to, to, to tell you this. While, while he's still speaking, a third servant rushes in, same, same way, bursts in, panic expression, gasps for breath. And he says, Job, the Chaldeans, they've been organizing this for a while, Job. They came, they came in raiding parties. They took all of your camels, Job, and the servants that were watching them are dead. And so, so Job, in this rapid succession of direct reports, has just seen his financial empire vanish. Everything that he's gone, everything that he's got is gone. His, his wealth is gone. His workforce is gone. So, so I bet Job is just sitting there at this point, you know, head in his hands, sitting down, just trying to take it all in. I, I wonder if his head is in his hands, he's just trying to take this all in, and, and he, he doesn't even notice the, the fourth messenger that comes in. I, I bet this fourth messenger, I bet he doesn't come in. With, with this burst through the doors, I, I bet he comes in very cautiously. I, I bet if we saw this fourth messenger come in, I bet we would see his lip quivering. I bet we would see his hand trembling with, with fear about what he's going to have to share with the, with the greatest man in the East. He, he probably stumbles through his report. He says, he says Job, Job, remember that Remember, today is that day that your kids all were getting together to, to spend time together. And Job, Job I was there with him. And then he paused and he says, says Job, this wind, I've never seen anything like it, Job. This wind came out of nowhere, this, this supernatural wind. Job, it struck the house, four corners of the house. And then he says, and, and, and Job, Job, your kids were in the house when it happened. Job, no one survived. Job, all, all ten of your children, Job, are dead. Devastating, right? I, 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 I cannot feel 
what Job must have felt. But, but I know there is nothing that, that, that could be like that feeling of knowing that, that all of your financial wealth, gone. Your, your closest family relationships, your kids, gone. Job can't sacrifice for them, right, anymore. That ship has sailed. They're gone. They're dead. Job's concern for his kids' spiritual well-being, the, the, those same kids that he cared about so much, are gone. Job probably thought, there's no way this could get any worse. But the story's not done yet. Because shortly after this horrific story, these, these sores start to appear on Job. Probably maybe in one area first, but, but these sores, these boils, they don't go away. And pretty soon Job's whole body is covered from head to toe. Job chapter 2 tells us with these, with these painful sores, so painful that Job finds this broken piece of pottery on the ground, just picks it up and starts scratching at the sores to try to relieve himself of some of the pain. And so, so, so here's Job, this guy that just a couple days ago was at the top of the world, the corner off to the top of the building, the greatest man of the east. Here he is now sitting in a pile of ashes. His head is shaved because of grief. His clothes are torn because of grief. His body is covered physically with, with probably sores and scrapes and pus from these boils maybe that erupted. I, I mean, th this picture is one of dramatic, horrific suffering. So Job knows suffering. Job knows that feeling of being blown apart when you lose everything financially close family relationships, and your physical health. Job knows suffering. But what Job doesn't know is why. And, and the thing is, you, you read through Job closely this week, you'll see that Job never is told why. Job's got some friends that show up that try to comfort him and then kind of mess that up pretty royally. But, 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 but he's got these friends that show up and, and try to offer their own reasons why Job is suffering. But we know they're wrong. His friends don't know why Job is suffering. And, and then God steps in again at the very end of the book because God has some stuff to say to Job. And among all the great things that God says to Job that we don't want to miss, read it closely. There's nothing in there at all about why Job is suffering. Job is left ignorant about the reason why. So this guy that surely is saying, why is all this happening, never gets the definitive answer. But, but here's where we know more than Job as a, as a reader of the book. Because you remember how I said that, that Job isn't the only character in this story? Remember how I said that, that God and Satan are also characters that we meet in these first couple chapters? The, the cool thing about Job is that we get this backstage pass. We, we, we get this window into heaven. And, and we see this divine drama that's going on where, where God and Satan are interacting about Job. And as we listen in on that interaction between God and Satan over Job, we start to get some tremendous insight into, into why Job is suffering. But we also learn more about who God is that we don't want to miss. As, as we think about that statement we're talking about this morning. That statement is that, remember it, as, as you wrestle through the why questions of suffering, focus on who God is. We see that as, as we look behind the scenes into this window where God and Satan are interacting. So, so, so let's take advantage of this backstage pass where we see what's going on in heaven. And so, so here's where we go to Job chapter 1 verse 6 is where we pick this up. <clears throat> 
So, uh, so we've just been introduced to Job in, in the chapter, but then suddenly we zoom way out and we see this scene in heaven. Job chapter 1-6 says that one day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? And Satan answered the Lord from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. And then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does, does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replies. I mean, ha- haven't you put a hedge around him, God? I mean, haven't you put a hedge around him and his household, everything he has? You've blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything that he has. And Job says, God, I bet Job will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, all right, very well then. Everything that he has is in your power. But on the man himself, don't lay a finger. And then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. In Job's sufferings, land. Before I keep going, I want to make sure that we see how important of a scene this is. Because cause, cause, cause we don't get these glimpses into heaven very often in Scripture. So, so when they come up, we want to make sure to be paying special attention to, to this divine drama that's going on here. And so, so, so as we see God and Satan interacting here, we, we see that this debate centers around Job. And, and, and I bet the angels are listening into this. We get the chance to lean in. We get the chance to listen in on this. And, and as we do that, we get some tremendous insight into the why question of suffering. So, so, so let's ask that question. Why is Job suffering here? What do we learn? Well, first let's be clear on why Job isn't suffering. Job isn't suffering because of sin. I mean, let's, let's be clear on this. God himself says, hey, Job is blameless and upright. He's the guy. Job is not suffering because God is against him and ready to throw down this lightning bolt on everything that Job has. So Job isn't suffering because of sin. Instead, here's why Job is suffering. Here, here's where the backstage pass pays off. We see that Job is suffering to show Satan and to show the watching angels and to show us that Job isn't just following God because of the good stuff that Job gets. Let me say that again. Job isn't just following God because of the good stuff that Job gets. That, 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 that's the test that this bout of suffering is supposed to, is supposed to see. Who's, who's going to come out on top, God or Satan? Job's suffering shows Satan, the angels, and us that Job is following God because of who God is and not because of what he gets. And, and, and Satan cannot believe this is possible. I mean, do you remember what Satan says there in that passage I just read? I mean, Satan, you can almost imagine the, the sneer on his face, and you can, you can hear the cynicism in his voice when Satan says, God, God, the only reason Job is following you is because of what you've given him, and the stuff you've given him is pretty good, God. Of course he's following you. He's got a full bank account. He's got a Cadillac or whatever your car of choice is in the garage. I mean, Job has it all. His finances are in order. His family's awesome. 
Who wouldn't follow you when everything is going like that? But then Satan says, but, but God, if, if Job's life turns south, you watch. And, and the reason Satan can't wrap his mind around this, we have to remember some of the backstory of Satan. So, so, so Satan was once this elevated angel, right? That lost everything because he always wanted more. He wasn't satisfied in himself with God being enough. Satan, Lucifer himself, always wanted more, always wanted more, always wanted more. That's what led to his downfall, that, 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 that pride. So Satan cannot believe that a human would follow God if his life turned south. And so Job's suffering becomes this test where Job can show that God's worth isn't in any way dependent on how good Job's life is. And that question that Satan asks God, I wonder if that's the question Satan is still wondering about. Does anyone follow God because God is good in himself? Or do they just follow God because of what they think they'll get? Does Tim follow God just because he thinks that, that it's going to be good for him someday? That it's going to pay off. Take away everything that Job has in a way that only suffering can. Let's see if he follows God. That's the test that suffering is. And, and, and hear me here. Hear my pastoralness, you know. Because I don't want to say this flippantly or casually. Because I've been in too many hospital rooms. I've done too many funerals. I've talked to too many people to, to take suffering casually ever. And at the same time, we see that suffering is this test. This test for us to say, is suffering going to drive us into God, even if my life goes south? Or is suffering going to drive me away from God? That's the question. Satan thinks he knows how that answer plays out. He's going to get proved wrong in Job. We're excited. Let's prove him wrong in our own lives. Let's show that, that even if horrendous suffering, that we would never want, never invite, even if horrendous suffering comes, let's let that drive us back into God into a way, instead of away from him. And then as we, as we look at the rest of, of some of the stuff we've seen, we, we see we get some great insight into who God is as well. The, the, we, we don't want to miss this as we ask that question about focusing on who God is. What can we learn about God then in this chapter, in, in, in these two chapters from Job? And there's these things I very quickly want to list, but that I don't want us to miss before we move on. So, so first of all, we, we see that God is sovereign even over suffering. God is sovereign even in the face of suffering. I, I know maybe that introduces all sorts of other, of other questions about, about how this takes shape, but the thing I want to be very clear on is that suffering never means that God has gotten knocked down that round. Suffering doesn't mean that he's absent for a little while. However things take shape, Job 1 and 2 and the rest of the Bible show us that God is always in control. He's always sovereign. We also see that God is working in ways that you can't immediately see in your suffering. Suffering, I mean, there's no way around this, but, but we know that just suffering puts blinders on us, right? All you can see is what's immediately in front of you. What's that next right step, that, that next right step to take when you get that phone call, you get that news? 
Suffering makes, makes the immediate right here, two inches away from our face. That's just the way it stays for a while. But, but Job shows us there's, there's so much more going on in Job's suffering than Job's immediate circumstances. It doesn't take away from anything about the horrificness of Job's circumstances. But we also see this zoomed out 30,000 foot picture that there's a whole lot more going on in this divine drama that Job, to our knowledge in his lifetime, never knows about. In the same way, in our suffering, God is working in ways that in our lifetimes we may never know about. But God is big enough and cool enough, if I can say it that way, that God is always working in ways that we can't immediately see. And then a third thing we see is that God has purpose in suffering. Yes, Job's suffering was, was very intense, but it wasn't pointless. Job's suffering refined him in ways that nothing else could. I mean, this point of, 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 the, of the purpose in our suffering, the, the, the refining purpose of suffering, that's where we hang on to verses like Romans chapter 5, verses 3 and 4, where we see the Apostle Paul saying the stuff that, that, that we just proclaim in the face of suffering. We hang on to this. We say, not only so, but, but we also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance in ways that nothing else can. Perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. There's this refining power of suffering. So let's go back to that statement we've been looking at this morning. As you wrestle through the why question of suffering, focus on who God is. And then as we, as we do that, as we focus on who God is, I want to be very clear that that focusing on who God is should lead us to trusting in God. Trusting in his sovereignty. Trusting in, in his ability to work in ways that we can't see. Trusting in, in his purpose. So it makes us say, as you wrestle through the why question of suffering, focus on who God is and trust in him. As, as a dad, this is what I want with my relation with my boys. They're not going to understand every decision I make for them. I know from experience they're not going to like every decision I make for them. But I want my boys to, to know me well enough that they trust me. Even in the midst of those difficult decisions that, that I make for them. And this is exactly what we see Job doing here in Job chapters 1 and 2. Even in the midst of his pain, even in his grief... Job trusts to God. Job, Job trusts God. At the end of Job chapter 1, after Job loses all of his financial empire, and after Job finds out that every one of his kids, he's not going to see again this, this, this earth, right? Even at that point, Job says, the Lord is given, the Lord is taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. At the end of chapter 2, when Job's suffering has just been compounded, by physical struggle, you know, by these boils, these sores that cover his body, Job says, shall we accept good from God and not also trouble? You see, we need to remember when Job says this, that Job doesn't know what's going on in his suffering. He hasn't been given any sort of neat explanation. But Job still says, I'm going to focus on God. That's where we see Job going with his mindset, with his focus. He focuses on God and he trusts in him. Man, I want to respond that way when suffering comes to my life. 
I mean, that's, that's the difference maker in how we respond to suffering. Are, are we focusing on who God is and trusting in him? And, and this morning, I just want to invite anyone here who's going through, through a time you would just describe as, as suffering. God, is, God has got it. He's still good. He's still in control. And let's, let's trust in him. We need to lean on others for that, but let's, let's lean on God as well. So, so this week was kind of part one in this packaged series on Job, where we talk about the why question. This, this, this next week, next Sunday, Steve is back. He's going to be sharing us just this very practical message on how to be a comforter for those who are experiencing suffering, how to comfort yourself, but then just as importantly, how to comfort those who are going through suffering themselves. Very important message. Hope you're back for next week. Let me pray for us, then our music team will come back up. Gracious Heavenly Father, Father, I, I, I feel how heavy of a subject this is of suffering. Um, and so, God, my, my request as, as I get off the platform this morning is very, very simple but very important. God, help us to focus on you. God, r- remind us how trustworthy you are, even in the midst of suffering, Father. And then, God, may all of that show that you are worth it. You are worthy, regardless of how good our lives are. So, Jesus, you are good. You are enough. We proclaim that this morning. We love you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen.